our college game was uh we played uh super smash brothers okay that, that yep, was our yep. thing dude we would sit there like we had a four had three three guy roommates in college my sophomore year and like we would just sit there for hours and hours and just play and you know yeah. uh you remember roy the, oh yeah yeah i would just stand there and he had that charge up move and he'd be like whoa and i just wait for someone to come near and phew, knock him off the edge <laughs> they'd be like dude that's not even about, playing right every time i think about those days i just uh relish like how much free time there was in college to do that type of thing you know <laughs> yeah well uh it doesn't uh your line of work sort of allow for i mean i guess it's not necessarily free time because i think people that are investing work a lot more than people realize like you just you just wait for numbers on the screen to go up, right? But it's unstructured or maybe like yes. flexible, not necessarily right. free time, but flexible time. Totally, for sure. Yeah, which is nice. Well, I guess we can start kind of talking about that. I mean, what uh, I, I usually have an intro prepared, but I wasn't sure after our conversation yesterday how exactly to intro you. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about what you would consider like your position in the Bitcoin space, how you're furthering it along uh, and what SAT standard capital is. For sure. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of background on me before getting into Bitcoin. So I first dabbled in Bitcoin in, in 2016. Uh, at the time I was working for a healthcare IT company here in Kansas City. A lot of people have probably heard of it. It's called Cerner. They're one of the big three uh, medical records providers for hospitals, doctor's offices, pharmacists, things like that. Um, so I worked there straight out of college, uh, grew up here in Kansas city, came back home to work after school and, uh, spent my first like four years working at Cerner, kind of learning all about their products and then decided to venture out on my own and build kind of my own company, uh, still working in the same space. So we did a lot of consulting on Cerner software. Uh, we built some proprietary software as well. And so I did that for about a decade, uh, before diving in full-time to the Bitcoin space, which for me was uh, selling selling the previous company about two years ago now almost, and I'm um, just focusing on Bitcoin full time. Um, and so when I first made that move, like a lot of people, I didn't have an exact plan, right, on what that would look like. Uh, <laughs> so we, uh, me and a couple other guys started a Kansas City Bitcoin meetup here in Kansas City. So that's been a lot of fun. And then um, pretty much right away, I started like investing small, like angel sized checks into Bitcoin companies. Um, and so over the last couple of years, that's kind of grown into what SAT Standard Capital is today. So what that is, is um, it's basically a holding company for all of my personal investments. And then I also run a, a syndicate on Angel's List that allows accredited investors to invest in opportunities that I bring forth to the syndicate. And so you, you typically lead these rounds, you do the due diligence, you're determining whether to invest or not. And these accredited investors, if you open it up to outside, can kind of piggyback on and add additional capital from the from outside that you would have otherwise could have provided yourself if you wanted to. Am I understanding that right? Does that kind of how that works? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So the way Angels List works is you can be what's called the lead, um, and you can create your own syndicate that then other people could come join. Uh, so that's what I've done specifically to invest in Bitcoin companies. And so I'll go out, I'll find deals to bring to the syndicate. I'll talk to the founders. If I hear, you know, um, Swan, for example, is a company the syndicate has invested in. If I hear, oh, they're getting ready to next raise their next round, I'll talk to Corey, mm -hmm. get all the information about the details of the investment, um, write up a nice long memo about it, you know, include information about historical company uh, numbers, what they have planned as far as like features coming out in the future, 
um, what their plans are as far as like raising additional venture money in the future, kind of tie all that up in a bow and then email it out to the members of the syndicate who then can determine whether they want to write their own check into the deal um, as well. So it's kind of a way to aggregate a bunch of smaller checks mm -hmm. and then write one larger check to the company, which they value from their perspective because it's just one entry on their cap table, if that makes sense. Right. And then angels list or like the syndicate manages like beneath that kind of layer two investors, if you will. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. So all the communication from Swan would come to me in this example, and then I would filter that out to the, to the folks who had invested. And, okay. um, yep. So did you, I mean, you said you worked at, you, you worked, you started your own company that worked, that got acquired by Cerner, right? Is it, so how, yep. so that's yeah. healthcare, right? How did like, yeah. How did you learn how to raise capital, become an angel? Like that seems like quite a, a leap. Yeah, totally different field for sure. And over the years, like the, so the years I was running the company, which was about a decade in total, um, I had been messing around with angel investing on my own, just kind of outside of, of the Bitcoin space. Uh, so writing like small checks into like angels list deals, for example, um, writing some checks into like some local Kansas City companies that, you know, just were friends or family members or whatever. Yeah. And so that's kind of what started the journey. And then for me, it was kind of like, uh, similar to the Bitcoin rabbit hole in a way where, you know, once you get passionate about something, you just consume like all the content there is about that topic. Um, so for me, that meant, you know, reading books, right. listening to podcasts of people like, you know, Jason Calacanis and those types of people. Yeah, the, um, the all in. Uh, yep. That's the a, all in podcast. Yeah. They somehow <laughs> tote the line between uh, educational and entertaining in a, in a really uh, careful way. Like it's funny and I learn things. That's what we try here, right. here too. But, uh, you know, we'll see if that uh, we achieve with the, <laughs> what we're looking for. Um, totally. And yeah, being a founder, you know, myself um, goes a long way to just talking uh, to other yeah. founders. Because you have that being experience able to on that tell. side. Exactly, yeah. So you being know tell if they kind of, when it's good to raise capital, when it's a bad time to raise capital. Um, I, I'm assuming like from the founder's perspective, you can sort of put yourself across from the table and think of it more strategically. Exactly. Yeah. And I think especially in the Bitcoin space, a lot of the times uh, founders tend to be, you know, younger just because Bitcoin kind of it, trends yeah. to the younger generations and they may not have any experience of, you know, being part of a startup prior to founding their own company in the space. So a lot of the times I try to like differentiate myself as an investor, as someone who can offer, you know, help along the way as far as, you know, forming the company, maybe like on the business development side, a lot of the Bitcoin founders tend to be very technical as well mm -hmm. and maybe not have as much experience, uh, you know, with the like marketing or, or the business, business development, side. things like that. Exactly. I find that that's common where, especially in the smaller or like the earlier stages of companies, the VCs and like we'll join like the board of directors even. Is that something that you've done before, like taking a board position or something that you'd be considering in the future as, as, as you grow your uh, venture? Right. Yeah, I have not done that to date. Um, I would definitely love to in the future. Typically, the way board seats get doled out is um, when a company Bankman raises... Keeps them all. Yeah, <laughs> keeps them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like when, uh, 
when companies get to a little bit of a later stage and they start raising like bigger rounds of capital, mm-hmm. say it's like a Series A round, mm-hmm. and a big venture firm's going to write like a ten million dollar check into the round, typically they would require a board seat in that in that sense at that stage of the company. Mm-hmm. Why um, is that? Uh, just to have more control over their investment because they're writing uh, such a large check. They're like, okay, no, 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 we're not throwing this ten million dollars here and not having any say so. Exactly. Yeah, so the opposite of what happened with uh with FTX. Yeah, that whole thing was amazing on on so many different levels, but specifically from the venture capital standpoint. Right. I mean, you had some of the largest venture capital most notable, firms. yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like just writing massive checks and just doing zero due diligence into the company. So they just got caught up in the hype. <laughs> I love this guy. He's playing League of Legends while he's fund- fundraising, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I know like it's already started. I mean, lawsuits are coming like yeah. against these venture capital firms. That, like by this know, is like those. by the limited partners, I assume. Yes. So this yep. is this is yep. the in, in the example that you were mentioning earlier about set standards. Like, OK, you're the general partner, right? You're the one doing the DD, deciding whether or not to raise the money, how much money you're going to give them, if it's the valuation appropriate. And the limited partners are these people who invest outside. Like that's like, OK, cool. I've got a deal. Um, you can put in a you know a couple thousand bucks if you want to get in, and you'll get a percentage of the allocation, right? That's the limited and partners, and those are the ones who are suing the. Are they suing FTX? Or are they suing like the general partner? So in the, in this case with the FTX debacle, the limited partners are trying to sue the general partners Ooh. and like the venture capital fund <laughs> that oh. put their money into this investment without doing the requisite due diligence that they should have. Huh. Um, I- that is something that I guess like I don't really consider about when you're a general partner, you have all the liability, right? So, right. And you, I mean, the way uh, venture capital funds are structured, you can insulate yourself quite a bit from those types of okay. liabilities. Uh, but in this case, I mean, it was just so flagrantly mishandled by they're everyone get, involved. Right. They're not getting away I'm with not it. sure it's going to work in this case. <laughs> and, and that's like creating a separate entity for each fund, right? And then having the, right. the management company be a separate entity from the uh, general partner. I, I've seen like some structure, right. like diagrams, but um, it seems complicated. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's, it sounds complicated. In reality, in reality, it's not too complicated. You have, um, you know, it's pretty easy to spin up these Delaware C-Corps. Yeah. And then, like you said, you know, you'll have one for the, for the management company. You'll have one for the fund itself. Uh, typically, you might have a, a third if you have, like, partners that are also operating the fund with you. Um, mm. But a lot of these things are, are kind of, you know, baked as far as getting them up and running. Um, and there's like great service providers in the space that can help you with this. Like AngelList, for example, we mentioned them earlier. Yeah. They have a really great product that helps like smaller funds spin up, um, you know, in a matter of weeks and they kind of take care of all the formation stuff for you, which is cool. That administrative side. So you can focus on deal flow and picking due right. diligence, uh, picking the right investments, doing DD. Yep. It, it, it does yep. seem like with the private markets, there's a lot more opacity to the investing process like given that i mean i I assume that the reason you continue to look into private markets is because the return potential is higher um but why but why not like with the all the regulations and the level of like filings that public companies have to adhere to what about the private markets attracts you to invest in that relative to the public markets or or do you do both 
Yeah, for me, it's mostly all private markets now. Um, five years ago, I would have given you a different answer where, you know, maybe half of my investing capital was in public markets, like in the S&P 500, and mm-hmm. maybe the other half was in private markets. But now I've shifted pretty much all of my investment uh, part of my portfolio portfolio into the private markets. And for me, it's just a function of um, return, like you said. The by the time a company is is public, the majority of the growth has already happened for the most part. Right. Especially now, where companies are staying private longer and longer than mm-hmm. they ever have before. Um, so it's hard to get you know return on your capital in the public markets compared to the private markets. Where you know if you if you get lucky and you hit a home run uh, in the private markets, you can you know hundred x even a thousand x your capital. Um, that's not out of the question. So. I mean, that's not happening uh, most of the time if you're just going right. to buy Apple or Google or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're going to be waiting a few decades for that right. at, at <laughs> bare minimum. And that's during a, you know, hyperinflation or a historically high inflationary environment coming up where. Well, the, I mean, the, I guess like you have, we were talking about that side of being active and especially in the earlier stage founders who are more technical, maybe not so business skilled. It sounds like another part of the private markets that maybe attracts you is your ability to like lend a hand and like actually make a difference and help these companies take their idea into reality and and turn it into something. Whereas when you're investing in Apple stock, you're just kind of, you're just kind of like, okay, I'm along for the ride. 30%. (laughs) Thanks, Tim Cook. You know, like that's, Yep. <laughs> so it, it, no, you're right. Yeah, I mean, part of it, aside from like the the potential, you know, gains being greater, is definitely a way to to try to have a little bit of impact in what you're investing in. Um, and so for me specifically, like I really help, I try to help with like the business development side of things for founders who may not have a strong skill set in that area. Uh, that's something I enjoy. Something that I had a lot of experience in in my previous company. So I don't mind, you know, trying to help help folks get connected with other people in the space that might be beneficial for their business. Um, really just as much as the founder, you know, is, is willing to let me help. I'm, I'm usually pretty open to, to kind of lending a hand wherever I can. Um, and that's just, it just makes sense too, because you're kind of, you know, you're furthering along your bag, so to speak. Right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're shilling your bags in an ethical, exactly. in an ethical way. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I guess that like makes me think like, you know, with Bitcoin, it's, it's pretty easy. You just, buy and hold right and historically you can look at the compound annual growth rate it's pretty pretty impressive uh you know your one year your you know one year year over year return doesn't look too good but uh i wonder like what do you see like similar in that same kind of light of the last question like what when it comes to private markets why invest in private companies and private Bitcoin companies when you could just buy Bitcoin and, you know, kick back and relax. Yeah. Now I'm glad you brought this up because this is like the number one question that a lot of Bitcoiners have when they, uh, you know, mention when somebody mentions to them, like, Hey, have you ever thought about investing in a Bitcoin business? They're like, why not? Why not just sell Bitcoin? Right. Can't self custody my, (laughs) uh, my, my safe notes, you know? Yep, exactly. And that's that's originally how I thought about it, too, to be honest. It's like you have to determine the opportunity cost and whether it's right for you to go even further out on the risk curve. Right. I mean, Bitcoin is already you and I probably wouldn't consider it risky, but to many, it's (laughs) pretty far out there on the on the risk curve. And then. Right. (laughs) And then you have intercapital even further out on the risk curve. Um, But in my opinion, like 
we as Bitcoiners, if we want to make sure that Bitcoin succeeds, I think we have a, a duty to try to support the companies that are building the surrounding infrastructure that's going to make Bitcoin accessible to normies, right? Um, and so I think that it's all it's it's a little bit of a way to kind of give back to Bitcoin. And also, if you do it right, and you know you you pick winners more than you pick losers, like you're gonna most likely you're gonna outpace the the growth of Bitcoin itself anyway. Um, and so it's kind of a, a double whammy there if you can if you can do it well. Are there other considerations that people should take into account? Like, for example, for U.S. investors, particularly, like obviously anyone's got to be accredited. So higher net worth individuals, like is there a tax, any kind of tax advantage that someone in that like position could have relative to just buying and hodling Bitcoin that would also make that type of venture more attractive? I think so. I think, um, number one, you have to have, uh, you know, a pretty decent size of investable capital to really even consider private equity in the first place. Right. right. Um, if you're, you know, if you're someone who wants to hold like $10,000 worth of Bitcoin and hope that it turns into a million dollars one day, right. um, that's awesome. And that's what I would tell people in that, in that scenario to do. If you're maybe someone who's older and has uh, a larger portfolio to invest, I think kind of splitting up your Bitcoin allocation between Bitcoin itself, which would be the majority of the allocation, and then peppering in some of the private equity stuff for part of the allocation as well uh, makes sense. Um, on the tax front, Really, the only time you get a tax benefit would be like if you have a loss to write <laughs> yeah, off right. one year. If, if one of your companies goes to zero, cough, cough, FTX. <laughs> well, well, there, <laughs> and, and I guess this may be a bit out of the scope of this conversation. So if it is, just let me know. But I thought like when you're early, maybe this is only for employees. So this is maybe where I'm wrong. But like having, I've worked at a few startups in my career, and like a lot of times there's tax advantages to where if you buy like, company equity early 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 and hold it for a certain number of years i forget what it's even called but you essentially can get like a tax preferential or maybe even tax free is that do you know is that only for like people who work at that company and not from outside money even though it's the same round yeah i think uh employee stock benefits um vest at different times and then you could potentially have tax consequences there whether you let it vest the entire time or not and I know that applies to found, founders shares as well. Right. There's, I think it's like seven years maybe or five years. Yeah, I think it's five. Um, I want to say it's yeah. like if you're really early stage and you hold a company equity for like that was super early, basically like you don't have, if you hold it for five years, I don't think you have to pay capital gains on it if you meet certain other, like, you know, everything in taxes, like read the fine print, you know, like not, right. not tax advice, <laughs> not financial advice, all that, you know, but. Uh, I, I was just curious because like, I, given that it is a very difficult, I mean, it's, you're, you're like racing the best horse, you know, like, yep. And, and so like, you've got a very high bar to meet. And given that the most early stage investing historically like goes to zero, um, mm-hmm. there's got to be some kind of compelling reason why you do it. Otherwise you wouldn't do it. I would think. Right. Um, I don't imagine you're in the yep. business of like intentionally losing money. So um, exactly, it's the whole it's the whole you know nine losers to one winner thing, and the and one then your winner, one winner yeah. pays for the other nine. <laughs> and, and that's what you're saying about like the magnitude of returns. There, it's like when you do get that winner, you can get a hundred x or even a thousand x. Which you know, if the other nine go to zero, it doesn't matter, right? Exactly. Yeah, and that's kind of what's led to 
Um, a lot of like the spray and pay spray and pray mentality that you see with a lot of uh, more traditional venture firms where, you know, they identify a sector and then they just write tons of small checks into basically anything when, in that sector and kind of just hope that one pays off for the and rest is of the that fund. But, illustrative of sort of how we got into this mess with Web3 and the FTX stuff where people were totally. just like, mm, whatever. Like it's, see, I, that's so interesting because like coming from economics background, like I blame it on the Fed, but I guess it's a derivative order effect of the Fed. Um, cause it's just like the interest rate was zero. They're pumping trillions yep. of dollars in the economy for, for heaven's sake. I mean, FTX got PPP money yep. <laughs> all for employees. <laughs> what were they doing with anyway? I won't get No, you're the- right. I mean, it's uh, it all goes back to kind of the, the world that we live in yeah. post GFC, right? When the, yeah. the money printer really went into overdrive and there's an ever increasing amount of capital that's looking for a home. And looking to find a return that outpaces inflation. And so over the last 10 to 15 years, more and more of that capital has just moved further and further out on the risk on curve. On the risk curve, right. And that led to, you know, just massive amounts of capital in the venture industry. And over the last, I'd say, two to, two to three years specifically, a lot of that has found its way into quote unquote crypto. And so you have the, the likes of, you know, A16Z, Paradigm. These guys raising literally like over a billion dollars for some of their to, venture funds to throw a dartboard to, to throw a dartboard. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and I mean, that hasn't trickled over into the Bitcoin specific ecosystem right. as much, um, which is interesting. I think the last time I calculated did some rough math, it was around like two percent of venture money in crypto was actually dedicated to Bitcoin companies. This, so the other 98 percent was <laughs> all the other stuff. This is why being a bitcoiner is not the easy road like it, it, the constantly it's littered with traps and um distractions like i mean i i imagine that like when you first got into crypto it wasn't a straight narrow path right and right <laughs> I, I, you know i i mean on the one hand like i want these vcs and you know, those closest to the money printer, I want them to understand and invest in the ecosystem because as you acknowledged earlier, it helps development, it helps push it forward, but it's so important in what they invest in too, right? Because if we're investing in the wrong things, we're now maybe sort of damning ourselves. And it's like the big, the big fight is against the Fed and the global central banks. Um, So each time we self-immolate by like one of these blowups, even if it is in the altcoin space whether it's ftx or celsius or BlockFi or whatever like these things while they 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 sort of highlight the unique uh offering that self-custody bitcoin provides but at the same time because most people aren't there yet and they don't understand that distinguishment there's distinction they wound up writing off bitcoin because when they see these things and they're like, oh, you, exactly. Like, I, I don't even tell people I work in the crypto industry anymore. I tell them I work in IT because mm-hmm. in the peak of the bull market, people are like, oh, I would say I work in, you know, I work in the crypto industry. I help people take self custody of their Bitcoin. Like, it's my, the most important thing in my life is to, for you to get your coins off exchanges. And they're like, oh, like, should I buy a Dogecoin? What do you think? Like, <laughs> crypto punks look pretty cool. And, yep. 
And it's like, those things actively hurt the adoption of Bitcoin deeply. Um, Cause I just don't talk, I don't tell people about like the sound money properties of Bitcoin and 21 million and like censorship resistance, permissionlessness, because it's, it's frustrating to like get associated with, with when they lump it all yeah. in unsuspectingly. So I, I, I think, anyway, I'll. No, that's, yeah, I agree with you. And I, th- I was just going to say, I think the last few months with all of the crypto ecosystem blowing up and Bitcoin being unaffected, right? I think we now have concrete examples to point to why the Bitcoin only yeah. thesis is sound um, and why it makes sense to focus only on Bitcoin and nothing else. And now we have actual examples that even like everyday people have heard of and it makes sense to them, right? Like even my parents, for example, asked me about FTX. Like right. it's everywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so explaining to them the difference between Bitcoin, which didn't enable any of this, and everything else is much easier now than it was it, before. It, it is so counter. Like I, I've had to explain that too. It's like, no, 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 this isn't a problem with Bitcoin. The FTX thing is actually the exact highlight of exactly why Bitcoin was created because not, <laughs> right. not your self custody, not your money. Whether it's like, yep. it could be cash, like even cash. Like you can't, I told my, uh, my, my parents this the other day, I was like, you can't, you cannot self custody dollars. It's impossible. And my dad was like, well, I can self-custody cash, you know, like put it in my safe, you know, guard it with a gun. Right. It's like, dude, they'll print it out from under you. Like yep. you cannot self-custody it. Especially a meaningful amount, right? I mean, right. you can maybe, maybe put a hundred K in your safe or something. But if, if you're a, somebody that's like worth a hundred million dollars, right. then what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you've got the idea of, okay, now I've got physical vector of attack, like a how uh, arson, you know, or like when you've this like you've got more dollars in your safe than the darn building is worth that it's protecting you know it's like and this is exactly why people wind up putting money in custodians and this is exactly how we got to where we are today and yep i think the other thing too that um i've been taking the opportunity to explain to people now is what an advantage being able to print your own money out of thin air can create oh yeah for a lot of the the crypto space i mean yeah just sticking sticking on the ftx example no, I think they I think they held 40% of the FTT token that was printed out of thin air and then they used that to inflate the value of it and then used the inflated value of their token they printed out of thin air to inflate the value of their equity because they could go to venture firms and say, you know, we have x billion dollars of FTT token on our balance sheet. We have this many, you know, users and then they apply some multiple to that and it's just all made up. It's right. all funny money. And yet, you know, they're able to, yeah, they're able to be a $40 billion exchange in two years. That was all just quicksand underneath. So I think that's the other thing that even more and more normal people are starting to understand, like why Bitcoin is different. Mm-hmm. Um, because Bitcoin can't be printed out of thin air. There's no pre-mine. Right. Um, there's no marketing department. You, you can know, run your own stuff. node. Yep. That's the coolest thing. Like when I, uh, like hooking up a, a wallet to your own node and. It's like, dang, dude, I'm like running this independent sovereign copy of this money and nobody can, change. it's, it's, it's profound. It's something you said right. earlier, it's like, it, it's, it's simple. It, or I think we were talking about in, like investing, like it seems simple, right? But it, it's actually quite complicated and it serves Bitcoin the same thing. It's like, it's quite a simple thesis of what it offers. It's like permissionless money, peer to peer cash, right? But under this, I mean, it's incredibly complex, like how it actually accomplishes said value proposition 
Um, yeah, <laughs> rabbit yeah, for holes sure. never ending. I think the, yeah, the best like description that I've seen is uh, hard money you can't fuck with, right? I like that. So one. like, <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're running your own node using your own wallet, totally self sovereign. That's definitely how you feel. Like nobody can fuck with my money. <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite the feeling. <laughs> was that uh, Jason Williams? That was the title of Jason Williams' yeah, book, Williams. right? Yep. Yeah, he's, he's a funny guy. I half the time I read his tweets and I'm like, okay, he's just he's, he's literally shitposting. There's no truth to any of this. He's like, he's like going to him and Mike Alfred were like going to the World Cup to see like you know U.S. Italy and somebody's like, they're not playing, bro. <laughs> like that's <laughs> not a game. <laughs> that's not a game. But okay, <laughs> and he's like, bro, I got yep. tickets. What are you talking about? <laughs> so you might For have sure. gotten I think a lot of like, scanned. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of those and just I mean, I'm not not picking on him specifically, but a lot of the Bitcoiners that were also into a lot of shitcoin stuff like he was a big investor in BlockFi, for yeah, example, him yeah. and Pomp um, are starting to come back to the Bitcoin only thesis now. And so I think we're just going to see more and more of that over the next couple of years. Right. As this washout in crypto continues, a lot of former like hardcore Bitcoiners who kind of moved into crypto land and got burned are now going to be coming home. To Bitcoin, so I think that'll be interesting to see that play out. Whether you know the community welcomes them back, I'm sure everybody's going to have a different reaction. But right. um, the cool thing is, Bitcoin doesn't care. Right, right. Bitcoin <laughs> doesn't care. It's made for enemies, and the people who, you know, it, it really like it, it. It's intentionally like what do I call it? The honey badger, right? Like the yep. It's it's designed to be adversarial in a way that it makes it stronger by, by doing so. Like each node that fights for consensus, it, 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 like it, it helps solve the, okay, which one is the truth or the proof of work, like the longest chain. Um, like I'm just, have you read about this stuff with like the full RBF flag debate? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Like, I, you know, it's like, I think this is good that we're arguing like, like, kids in a you know schoolyard like looks like some of them about to throw some throw some punches uh, you know on, at least online but this is good like because we're awesome i mean in in some ways you could say like we're not ossifying the protocol because we're making changes but at the same time it's like we are strengthening it because both sides are vehemently adamant about their position and you're, what you're seeing is like it go through this sort of maturation um growing up process where like taproot was kind of similar like there was like oh i don't know yeah. a speedy trial gonna pass and then it passed and it was a big nothing burger and like i don't know most wallets still don't support taproot but the whole idea is like okay china mining fell and it didn't kill bitcoin and it made it stronger because it's more decent the hash rates more decentralized now than it was and you know each time that you try to attack bitcoin if you don't kill it strengthens and so um yeah do you have like a an opinion on the current i guess like protocol debate topic about full rbf um not on that specifically i don't know enough about it um but just on on bitcoin in general and being kind of slow moving and, and hard to change i think that is an argument that a lot of the crypto ecosystem used to try to sway investors to mm. pour a bunch of money into all this other Results. shit right yep yep but what's funny to me about it is it's a completely misguided um conception of how things really work so yeah bitcoin base chain is 
slow moving and hard to change. And it's that way for a reason. Right. Uh, But exactly. Yeah. But we also have all of these second and third layers being built on Bitcoin now with the Lightning Network, um, Terra, for example, which will be like a layer three on top of Lightning. Uh, Other things coming as well. It's like the, the, the argument kind of falls apart when you, you know, when you start to explain Bitcoin in the layered approach. And um, I think it's it's like Bitcoin being compared to a tech company by a lot of people is the wrong the wrong way to look at it. Right. It's the Internet itself. It's not a tech company. If anything, like the altcoins are tech companies that are hoping to piggyback off of the groundbreaking breakthrough that the Internet, a.k.a. Bitcoin, achieved or is providing. I, I think of right. layer twos, I have a bit of an interesting take on layer twos that like not just lightning, but like I think of cash app as a layer two. I think of Coinbase mm-hmm. as a layer two. Like if I can, if we both have a cash app, I mean, it's KYC layer two uh, and it's a non-custodial layer two uh, or it is a custodial layer two rather, but it's, it moves Bitcoin value that's tracked on the main chain on the base layer Yep, and it's instant. So right. whether it's an internal ledger on Cash App or it's an external ledger that's you know done through Lightning channels, it's still a way to move Bitcoin. I think we'll see more and more of this. Like if any, if 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 the greater crypto ecosystem is to hope to survive, um, I do see that the most effective path for them is to try to figure out a way to move Bitcoin value in a better way than the Bitcoin base chain moves it because that's not what it's and and i think it's not what it's best suited for it's best suited Mm -hmm. for me sending you 10 billion dollars worth of bitcoin and you knowing with absolute certainty after 30 minutes is never getting clawed back like yeah that that's a that's a breakthrough for sure yeah i think like financial financial services on top of bitcoin um like you mentioned the, the cash apps of the world I think it's going to be very important as we like expand the pie of Bitcoiners in the world, uh, just because we're going to be reaching less and less technical people over time, different age groups, things like that. And they're going to need like a super easy way to understand this thing where they don't have to you know, run their own node at home, hold their own private keys necessarily. Um, and so I think those things will just become more and more popular, like the better the UX UI gets. And Lightning development is a huge part of facilitating that as well as some of the projects being built on top of Lightning. But um, yeah, it's kind of funny because like all of the the altcoins in the crypto space were started as a way to improve upon the things that Bitcoin was bad at, right? It's too slow. It's right. not going to scale. And now it's, you know, it's fast on Lightning and it's scaling on Lightning. <laughs> Lightning is and so it's, amazing. <laughs> I sent, yeah. uh, I had like 50 sats in a Breeze wallet. And I just wanted to try out the Cash App Lightning because they finally added it. I mean, as you know, like getting inbound liquidity is one of the hardest, biggest challenges Mm -hmm. with the Lightning Network, especially reliable pathing and cheap, like low low PPM fees. So I was checking out Cash App's liquidity and or just like the Lightning experience, and it was insanely easy. I just like received fifty Sats QR code, copied it, pasted it in the Moon and a Breeze wallet, and then it was like check. It's done. And then I could convert yep. my 50 sats into less than a penny, which I guess I got skimmed on the exchange right there. But, you know, it's fine. <laughs> it was yeah. cool, man. It was, it was seamless. 
And, and with things like lightning address now, like that whole flow is getting even more seamless. I don't even need to give an invoice. I can just send right. to the, it's like an email basically. Yep. It's uh, like sending an email. Yeah. Like, you know, Don at uh, Zebedee.com or whatever, for example. Do you, and uh, uh, that, that reminds me this. Uh, so we post this episode, like all the podcast episodes on fountain. Which mm-hmm. I saw got like temporarily suspended from Twitter yesterday. I didn't. I, didn't, I saw that too. I yeah, didn't, that was crazy. <laughs> I didn't follow up on on why. I imagine it's because they like spoofed a Spotify picture, and they maybe Spotify was like copyright infringement or something like that. I don't know. I have to. It could be follow up, but but anyway, assuming Fountain is still around because <laughs> uh, I think it is. Um, if you have a Fountain uh, username, we split the sats. Uh, for right. any tips, so it's cool, man. Like we got a couple last episode, we got like ten, twenty thousand sats, which I don't know. It's like a few bucks, but that's better than zero. And it like auto splits to the speakers and guests. Like you can't do that in Anchor. You can't do that exactly in, in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And like that. And this is like we're in like the first, maybe like okay, maybe we're in the top of the second inning at this point. Like this is really gonna change the game. We were talking yesterday about how uh, Lyle and, and Vita and like how they can monetize educational, like if, if I'm like teaching, you know, a group of uh, baby boomers about how to take self custody, like I could charge them, you know, 10 cents a minute. And it's like, I don't have to manage the payments. I don't have to collect the invoice or the, have to worry about accounts receivables. Like, no, it's all there in my wallet, self custody immediately. And this is beginning, yep. right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that's most exciting to me about Bitcoin is all of the other use cases that it can disrupt right um you know you wouldn't necessarily think of like lawyers being able to monetize their time in real time like as a bitcoin application but you know if you plug in lightning to that workflow and it is a bitcoin application so um value for value all those types of models that will eventually get disrupted by bitcoin is really what is exciting to me when i'm looking at like early stage businesses to be involved with yeah yeah, I've, just because it's so, like you said, it's so early, especially for those types of things. Like we're just getting started on those use cases. That you know, if uh, if these companies get it right, it it can be like a massive return and and beneficial for society too, right? That's the another one of the main things that right. is exciting about being involved in this space is you're actually doing good for the world instead of you know. Do you view your yourself as an impact investor? Uh, no. I mean, I guess you could consider Bitcoin investors that I don't necessarily look at myself that way. I just, I just love Bitcoin and I want to do <laughs> I whatever Bitcoin, I can to, to help it succeed. So <laughs> fair enough, man. Fair enough. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, what are some, what are some signs, uh, like when you're looking at companies that is like, okay, that's, that's a unicorn or like, that's going to be uh, a winner that seat, that leader has potential. And likewise, what are some signs? It's like, okay, that's a red flag. Yeah, for sure. And it's really, um, so I, I do most of my investing in super early stage stuff, like, you know, seed round, maybe even earlier pre-seed round where they're just getting started. So a lot of the times at that point, it's either an idea yeah. with nothing behind it, or like maybe they have like a beta app to play with. So you're um, only investing in the founder, essentially. Pretty much at that point and, and the idea, right? So for me, like you have to think about the size of the potential market that the product is going after. Uh, first and foremost, like even if these guys do hit it out of the park, what's the size of the of the market that they're going to be playing in? Right. Um, and then you have to look at is what they're doing, is what they're building or attempting to build going to be defensible as far as a technology? Um, so even if they have a great idea, 
and they build it and it works. If it's something a larger player can just come along and copy pretty easily, um, that is cause for like concern. Like a moat, right? Like an economic exactly, moat. moat. Yep. Okay. And that can be, you know, whether that's the brand itself uh, can be a moat, whether it's the technology they're building and they're able to patent certain parts of that. Um, you, things like that is what I would be looking for in that case. And then for the founder specifically, it's, I always ask people like, why are you doing this? Number one. Number two, why right now? Mm. And you can learn a lot about the founder's motivations with just those couple of questions. Um, and you can kind of just get a sense of, of their energy and their passion, which at the earliest stage is, is one of the most important things I've found right. for um, kind of being pre prerequisite for success, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, what are, what opposite, like, what are some things if you saw, you'd be like, okay, no, nope. I'm like, maybe they'll succeed, but I'm not in like, what mm -hmm. are some, or maybe you have some like anecdotal examples that you've, that you have that you could share or, um, just some more like general. Yeah. I mean, one thing that comes to mind kind of right off the bat is just not being fully committed to, to the startup. Like a lot of the times I'll talk to people and they're like, well, I have this idea. I want to, you know, get it started, but you know, I'm still kind of tied to my fiat job. Mm. Um, and that kind of just tells me like, they're not quite there yet as far as ready to fully dive in and make the jump. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot of, I mean, it's a hundred percent, you know, commitment day, night, whatever you have to be, <laughs> you have to be, the only thing you're thinking about is your startup when you're a, when you're an early stage startup founder. So if you're not ready to make that jump yet, like you're just setting yourself up for failure in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. and then the other thing is trying to like raise a lot of money or even any money like too soon mm -hmm. in the process, I think okay. is a bit of a red flag for me anyway. Um, like I like to see people at least have like something up and running that I can play with a little bit at least, um, before they start going out and try to raise, you know, half a million bucks or whatever they're doing. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I had to, uh, I don't know if you saw here in the show notes, I had dropped a, like a, uh, list. It was like. Venture capital red flag checklist. I thought maybe we could go through this for a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so one of them is uh, letting the good times roll. <laughs> that would be a red flag. Um, second one, lack of a legitimate board. Mm -hmm. I think we already kind of talked about that. This is one I don't uh, quite understand. So I'd like to, you to talk about super voting dual class stock now i think this is what like google has where it's like google a shares and b shares but i'm not sure so what what is this super voting dual class stock and how is that uh a red flag yeah so like a lot of the times when the company is first getting started they'll issue uh what's called common shares of stock so that'll be uh to the earliest employees maybe some advisors things like that and then in, in later rounds of raising capital, say they go to raise like a series A round if they've had some, some success, uh, that would be like a series A preferred stock. Mm. So that you have, then you have the preferred stock and you have the common stock. And with each of those come different rights um, as far as voting goes, as far as like what happens in the event of a, of a bankruptcy or a liquidation. And so a lot of times if those... Um, if those different classes of stock have kind of like competing rights, it can cause some interesting situations. So one example that I saw kind of play out a little bit was with the uh, with Celsius this past year. So 
uh, right, kind of right before they went bankrupt and everything kind of crashed on them. They had raised a bunch of money from like uh, a Canada pension fund and a couple other big investors. And during that, uh, I think that was their B round, possibly, or maybe C, one of the two. Uh, whoever those investors were got rights that kind of allowed them to shield themselves from everything that went wrong in the company later on. And so they were able to like, they'll be first in line to salvage whatever is left basically of the company. Um, And so it's kind of like if, if your founder is not careful with how the different classes get different rights, it can cause some problems between the investors later on, depending on what happens. That's uh, I think a clear explanation. Thanks. Well, the next yeah. one here is aversion to audits. I think that, uh, that one's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, this one's interesting too. Unique financial data presentations. It's very complicated. Don't worry. We've got it. You wouldn't understand it. Just know that we're making <laughs> a ton of money. Right. This is a yep. huge red flag. This, this is exactly what Sam Bankman-Fried did. Oh, it's like, That's I what I'm just know. thinking. I'm yeah. sure you probably saw the the screenshot of his org structure that was going around yeah. and all the different subsidiaries and <laughs> like well and that and yeah. that leads me right to the next one which is odd corporate location. Um, mm-hmm. Not only were they in the Bahamas, they had an entity in every darn shell country, you know, every Seychelles and every other crazy, you know, obscure country with bankruptcy protection that you could have, like. Just yep. not, not looking good. And every, you know, Alameda and what FTX were so deeply in bed with each other. Who even knows? If, I don't even know why they had different names. They were the same people. Uh, yeah, a I lot of the times. They must have hired um, AngelList to do that thing. Must, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I think like for U.S.-based investors specifically, like we want to see a Delaware C-Corp. That's yeah. just the standard basically for for investing into, and even like overseas companies, if you're a European company, you can have a Delaware C Corp be a subsidiary of your EU-based entity as well. Mm-hmm. And you can run, you know, venture capital that's raised in the US through that entity. And that just, it, it provides more uh, protections to, to US, investors US investors sometimes yeah. as opposed to being uh, money domiciled overseas, so. What, uh, we, don't, we won't get into too deep here, but like, what's the difference between a, like a C corp and an S corp and particularly in the context of like small businesses. And I assume they're all C corp. Like seems like, yep. Yep. Yeah. So C corp is kind of, is the standard for sure. Um, S corps and LLCs are more of a way to route, uh, retained earnings back to the owner of the business. So okay. like a lot of like, you know, doctors, for example, or, um, like it contractors, for example, We'll have an S corp that um, is basically a way to like save on certain taxes and things like that. Right. That way you're paying for like the business expenses out of the S corp, and then you're funneling whatever profit is left into your like you know your personal um, account. Personal income. But yeah, any uh, any like large company that has a product that it's offering or has a bunch of like users and things like that, those will almost always be oh, C corps. C corps, cool. Yeah. yeah, I set up a like a LLC when I started doing the podcast, cause I was like, if I ever get mm-hmm. sued, I don't know. I might say something dumb and get sued for like defamation or something. So yep. I was like, I need some protection. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't do an S corp though. So hopefully I did that right. I did like the, uh, what do you call it? Like self, uh, sole prop LLC. Right. Yeah. Really? I think it, it depends on like income level. So like if the yeah. podcast gets super successful no, and you're I making all no kinds income. of money, <laughs> yeah. we only then have losses. Might be more valuable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
this, <laughs> I got a few of those myself. Yeah. <laughs> this one microphone, which uh, I did buy specifically for the podcast, cost more than like our entire lifetime earnings of the company so far. But yeah. if you build it, they will come, is what I'm told. And exactly, we are sparing no expense on the effort to make this quality good. So um, when people see it, hopefully they're impressed. Right. Plus, oh. you get those sweet text write-offs too on your uh, on your LLC. So yeah, but you can't do that forever. You have to eventually no. turn a profit. And I'm like, it's been a bear market for a few years now, or like for two tax years. So I'm like, all right, next year we're gonna have a lot. We're gonna have a good year next year. You just wait, IRS. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the Bitcoiners feel you there. Yeah. Well, well you host. A, you were telling me earlier you host a podcast, uh, Orange Pell Addicts. Talk to us about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a, a fun project myself and two other Kansas City Bitcoin uh, friends started about a year ago now. Actually, exactly a year ago this week. Um, and so we uh, we started it out not really having any idea what we were doing. Uh, luckily for me, Brian, who's one of my co-hosts, really uh, like dove into the technical side of things mm -hmm. and figured out how to make the audio work well and you know all the all that good stuff there, the value for value stuff, how to get it plugged into all those channels. Yeah. And um, kind of the niche we found over time is interviewing like builders in the space. So we try to have a lot of like founders on, um, a lot of people who are just doing different things like self-sovereign focused. So like, for example, we had Seth for privacy on here in the last couple of weeks. And that was a cool one. Um, we talked to like Graham from Voltage, just people like that who are just, you know, building in the space. And um, it's which is cool for me because it, then I kind of get to pull both of my Bitcoin passions together, which is, you know, talking to founders, learning about what they're building, and then also just, just talking Bitcoin in general. Right, so, right. <laughs> uh, and do you guys do like as mostly interview style, like current events, uh, or, or combination of both? Yeah, it's mostly, um, it's mostly just like learning about kind of their background, like in their, and then their company specifically, if we're talking to a founder or yeah. like Seth, Seth privacy, like his 10, you know, bullet point guide that he put together, just like That's going cool. through those. So it's more of a, I don't know if it's really an interview as much as like just like learning about what they're working on. But we, uh, Value Stack has had a similar sort of, we had no idea what the heck we were doing when we started. And <laughs> I'm still not sure I do. And notice I changed from we to I because there used to be a co host uh, who I'm now doing it alone, but he's coming back for the year end episode. Uh, you know, Sam, okay. you know, Sam Callahan. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That'll this this episode will come out in early January, uh, right after the year end episode, and so this will be like the next one on the tails of that. So Sam Callahan and Bo, uh, my old co-host, we're uh, we're gonna have a year end. All three of us sitting in here, we're just gonna talk about what a shitstorm of a year twenty twenty two has been. Yep, <laughs> and uh, some predictions for twenty twenty three. So. Um, but we used to do like current events, Bo and I would get together every two weeks and just kind of like update what the Bitcoin markets were doing. Um, but he's a traditional like financial planner. And I, I think it sort of maybe is, um, like he's probably can't be doing like a lot of that stuff because of regulatory reasons. So, mm. um, so mm -hmm. I just started doing it on my own and now I've switched to, um, like a more interview style with people like yourself. And, uh, I, I've liked that format because we, I get to uncover, like new ideas, new angles, and 
talk to people who are just doing the same thing every two weeks, you know, um, for sure. Yeah. You mentioned doing it in person with your co-host and that's something that's like the most fun for us oh, too. Yeah, Cause yeah. like we're all here in Kansas city and like we can all go to Brian's house, yeah. like have a few high noons or whatever, yeah, the summertime yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and just let it rip. So yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. But next, uh, it's next Saturday or two Saturdays from now we're doing the year end episode and we planned this out like two months ago and boy, now do we have some topics to talk about, you know, this, Totally. That little FTX thing happened uh, and, and the subsequent fallout of, of it. Gosh, it's been a crazy year. Um, even, uh, yeah, I mean, even like just Bitcoin itself, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of change over 2022 that um, most people wouldn't expect, you know, would have happened. So I think there's a uh, I mean, crypto has overshadowed Bitcoin, but Bitcoin right. itself has still had a pretty big year, too, which is cool. Or is there something like that you're thinking about specifically when you when you say that yeah i think for me it's just all of the development that's happened on lightning and all of yeah. the things that are coming out even on top of lightning like i mentioned Terra briefly earlier yeah, yeah. and things like fediment for example yep. um Octobre, yep. i just think people are underestimating like how how big these things can be for for bitcoin and like what what other applications it will enable to be built on bitcoin that weren't possible before one of my uh, one of my first guests on the show when we started doing like the interview style uh, was uh, Thomas Jesterfer. You know him? Okay. Yep. From uh, Amboss. Yeah. Well, he had he he used to be Bitcoin Kindergarten co-host and yeah. like yeah, I yeah. knew him before he started Amboss. And I had made this channel on YouTube used to be like a Bitcoin tutorials channel uh, before it was the podcast. And I still do some, but I haven't done one in a while. And one of the first ones I did was like about Amboss, and I went and rewatched it like a couple weeks ago and wow <laughs> the website has changed dramatically i need to do like a an updated one but that was only like a year ago like a year yeah. and a half maybe so i mean the number of nodes you because amboss has a tracker of like and this mm -hmm. isn't the whole network but just the registered nodes on amboss and it's like that's the real number go up you know like the lightning yep. network while people still kind of scoff at its progress um and i've heard i've seen tweets like you know wrapped bitcoin has more volume right. than the lightning network and rootstock has more pegged bitcoin than the whatever man like yeah like these lightning once it's built to like it's not going to go backwards like there's not going to be this catastrophic custodial event in lightning i hope i don't think like where you know all of the rap bitcoin get redeemed in one day because there's some kind of liquidity crunch or um or there's some bridge where you know whatever breaks and uh i yep. think the lightning network's slow and steady progress is the most encouraging aspect of bitcoin's development today would you would you agree with that it sounds like I'm for sure yeah and i think like one of the cool things too to understand is like lightning is modular right so even if like one company that's built on top of lightning fails it doesn't bring down the entire network like for example like on ethereum with the wrapped bitcoin if bitco gets rugged right. you don't get your bitcoin back right? right so it's like it's so much different as it's far gone. as um security models well you know, even so. even this year like barack uh, had the Barack, I forget right. his Twitter name, um, but he like broke L&D twice, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and like that yep. didn't break the Lightning Network because L&D, now granted L&D is like the most by extreme margins widely used implementation of it, but there are other implementations of Lightning, right? So uh, it's that same thing For we were sure. talking about earlier. It's like, you know, 
if it doesn't kill, it makes it stronger. It's like, well, it weakened, you know, at that, at temporarily maimed the strength of the lightning network because a lot of nodes that were running LND were not running correctly. But now LND mm-hmm. is stronger. And now the whole protocol is stronger as a result. Um, exactly. Yeah. And we have more, you know, impetus for more Bitcoin companies to support the different lightning implementations too, as well. So, like, Pretty much right after that, you saw companies coming out and say, "Okay, we're going to start, you know, supporting the other versions of of Lightning as well." And I think that's a that's a good thing. <laughs> right. We don't want the single point of failure on our implementation, even. Yep. Well, is that? Uh, do you see that being like the continuing narrative for the rest of this cycle? Uh, just kind of like the growth of the Lightning Network, because we don't really have much. I mean, I guess Bitcoin don't really do much, right? It's like the stick, like do something. <laughs> Right. No, not <laughs> that. Main, yeah. Not that. <laughs> not that. <laughs> um, but is that like, I guess we got what, eight, 16 months or so till the halving? Um, is that what you're going to be kind of focused on from here out until then? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. And um, I just think that even like within Lightning, the development is going to be like hot and heavy um, as far as like different assets being issued on top of Lightning with, with, with Terra, Terra or different protocols similar to that. Um, and that'll be interesting to see play out because I'm, I'm sure we'll see, you know, stable coins come to Lightning. I'm sure we'll see like some what I would probably consider shit coins come to Lightning <laughs> via Terra. Here we go all and, over uh, again. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's the whole thing where, you know, free market will decide whether these right. are worth anything or not. But it's just it's cool that now even, you know, developers who maybe would only have developed on Ethereum or Solana or AVAX before have an opportunity because they to. wanted to do a specific project. Yeah, now they have the opportunity to build on something that's at least secure and stable and pegged to Bitcoin, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if it's running on Lightning, it's pegged to Bitcoin. That's so, right. Um, and the settlement I think layer be, is the security exactly. model that it's using. So, yep. So it'll be fun to watch that that development. And um, I'm a. You mentioned the having. I guess I'm I'm probably more less of like a cycle guy than a lot of people. I think at, at this point the having will be less and less impactful as we move forward. I do think right. we probably have one more good bull run like this next having. Um, but I think that might be kind there of the last one. There's the so. bullishness I need to hear. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'm always bullish. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I agree with you. I think the well, I mean the data has showed that the having cycles have have become less and less uh, impactful uh, as far as like magnitude. Right. Um, we'll see. We'll see what and happens. And it's just more, more people are more aware of it now, right? right. So it's kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Like everybody knows it's going to be summer 2024 and everybody's expecting the price to run up shortly thereafter. And so it won't. Now that everybody's expecting that, it probably won't, right? <laughs> so then it will. <laughs> this is reverse, <laughs> reverse, before. reverse psychology. Yeah. I'm Maybe bu- even before this time. I'm I, bullish I for next year. <laughs> I, I actually think 2024 is not going to be great. Um, but I think next year is going to be gangbusters and I say that mm-hmm. every year, but, uh, you know, never gone wrong, never, never gotten hurt being optimistic. So exactly. But I, I do, yep. I follow, uh, I follow this, uh, this sort of general market sentiment and there's no math really to this, but it's more of just like, I read the room and, mm-hmm. and try to understand and this. I think a lot of this came from just being in traditional finance, like before Bitcoin and you can just sort of get a pulse if you pay attention, like what the general sentiment is and like the cycles of sentiment. And, you know, when people are texting me, yo, dude, I just made a hundred thousand dollars flipping a picture of a monkey. Why don't you get in? 
right? Like if you are a disciplined individual and take a moment to say, okay, what the hell's going on here? Um, yeah. <laughs> might be a little bit of euphoria, right? And right. Like, likewise today, those same friends are texting me dancing on my grave saying, thank God I didn't get into crypto when you told me to. I was like, well, I never said to get into crypto, but okay. Um, yep. That reverse sentiment now, I just don't think we can hang because we're there. We're there now. Mm -hmm. We can hang out there for a while, right? But I don't think we hang out there for another 12 months. I just historically from my, and again, this is like kind of like more just from my own personal anecdotal experience, but like, I don't think we stay, we've never stayed in that like sort of depression capitulation cycle for a full year. And we've already been in there for a few months, if I would, I would say. Yeah. I think so too. And I think like the other part of it for me is I think probably the macro environment will shift a lot in the yeah. next year as well. Um, like if I had to, to bet, you know, when the Fed pivots coming, I would probably guess within the next year. Um, oh, for sure. Which they have to. will also be a big benefit to Bitcoin and, and everything else that's out on the risk curve as well. So I'm thinking like 2024, as you sort of said, that everybody's expecting, you know, having, you know, supply shock number go up. Right. That's why I think based on where the sentiment is now and that everybody's expecting 2024 to be gangbusters i think next year's where we're where where, where the real uh returns are but i have no clue and i don't really care no clue. <laughs> I, have, and exactly. I don't care really because like i'm just going to keep doing the same thing i've been doing which is dca and stacking sats you know and i think for 99.99 percent of people except for those who are accredited investors and who have the you know sufficient capital to be able to have the privilege of diversification um mm -hmm. they should all just stack sats right except for that small minority uh and those who yeah. have that ability should invest in those companies so that the ecosystem can succeed because without any of these companies that are adding to the user experience and the pushing the ecosystem forward right like the whole asset won't succeed Totally. That's that's my opinion for sure. And I think like right now is a great time to get involved if you haven't been yet and you're able to get involved in writing some, you know, small checks to Bitcoin companies. You're going to get a much better entry point now right. than you would have any time in the last couple of years, for sure. Way better valuation, <laughs> yeah. way better multiple. You get pr yep. more preferential cap on the uh, raises. What are exactly, some, yeah. uh, are you able to talk about some of the uh, companies that you've invested in and just like kind of maybe give a sentence or two and why you, like what you really saw in that company, why you invested in it? Yeah, for sure. And we, we kind of mentioned Vita a little bit earlier and I am an investor in, in Vita. Um, and for me, I think just unlocking, you know, people's associating value to people's time is just going to be more and more important as the future moves on. And we kind of move to this more like peer to peer value for value society. And uh, Vita and Lyle and his team are really, I think, the, the team to unlock a lot of that. Um, and him as a person, his two co-founders, just they, they have immense startup experience, a couple of successful exits for, for multiple um, members of the team there is really attractive to me as well. So um, excited about them. That's a uh, that's one one you you forgot to list in the uh, success uh, success signs, like good signs. A founder has success, founder. Yeah. successfully <laughs> exited a company before. <laughs> That's a <Yep>. good sign. <laughs> that goes a long way for sure. Yep. But I'm an investor in, you know, probably 20 or so Bitcoin companies at this point. Everything from uh, Galois to Swan, um, kind of all over the place. So 
anywhere that I think, you know, can make an impact to the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, I'm happy to happy to help support. So I think I had seen you tweet about crowd health. Was that one that you were involved in? I am not involved with them uh, specifically. I like what they're doing. Um, And I think that's a if they can make that work, I think that'll be a cool one. Um, I guess I was wondering, because given your background, like working yeah. in, through Cerner, yeah. yeah, I was like, maybe <laughs> that's one that like really stands out to you as a, but as a matter of fact, though, given that you have that background and you're not involved, I don't know. I don't want to uh, draw conclusions on any, any which way, but uh, yep. cool. Well, maybe I'll cut that part out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <it's> all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we're on a, like a Bitcoin standard, like, do you think people are just going to, or I guess like rather how long do we take to get to a bitcoin standard is it in our lifetime and what does that look like am i just walking up to the doctor or to the grocery store clerk and just like scanning a qr code or i think i i think we will see hyper bitcoinization in our lifetime um i think within the next you know 40 maybe 50 years i don't see how the current system could last any longer than that, that would i'd be, be surprised double. if it even lasted that long to be honest with you <laughs> right that'd be another it's already only i mean it's only been 50 years really the fiat system right so exactly yeah so i think for sure by then fiat will be dead and like i just don't know what else would take its place other than bitcoin right. i think um when cbdc's start coming out hot and heavy i think that's just going to be a massive massive marketing campaign for bitcoin itself sure because bitcoin is the opposite of everything a cbdc stands for <laughs> and so i think that'll push us a long ways towards a bitcoin standard but as far as yeah what it looks like i think it's just um to me it just means people are able to save again right mm. you're able to save in a money that you don't have to speculate with to get returns to outpace the rate of monetary inflation and so that's what i'm most excited for people can be less of an investor day to day and more of a, a saver. And I think that'll just unlock a lot of like societal benefits as well. It'll give people more time to get back to, you know, maybe pursuing hobbies or sciences. Um, Where the like efficiency that, so. gains come from. I mean, exactly. I think it was Mises or Hayek, one of the Austrian uh, economists that said that the only way to truly grow economic uh, potential is through efficiency gains and uh, capital uh, increase in capital efficiency. So, the more that we can spend our time on engineering problems and sort of you know solving that efficiency technological growth, that's how we truly sustainably grow, rather than these like capital injections, which are like you know crack highs and then we get the you know the the crash, you know on the come down right after. It's like those aren't sustainable ways. And you know if you were to look at I guess like if you were to look in the rearview mirror, a lot of people would say, well, I mean, look at, you know, look at Denver or look at like, you know, Los Angeles or look at, you know, any of these like major metro cities that have come up in the last 50 years and say, well, see, it works. But then mm-hmm. I would say like, okay, like zoom, like you're looking at the, you know, the, the picture of the city from like 50 miles away, like now go walk downtown and tell me, <laughs> right, look and at the tell, infrastructure yeah, and, and like, and look <laughs> yeah. at the homeless people standing on the street, like panhandling and like, tell me that's a sign of a healthy economy and a healthy city and a healthy currency. It's not. And yep. you know, those things happen like everywhere, but when it's everywhere is when you use like, okay, clearly this isn't an individual problem. This is a system wide systemic, like a systemic thing. 
Totally. Yeah, I dove into some research probably about a year ago now for an article I did for Bitcoin Magazine looking at um, how society functions under like a hard money, low time preference standard as opposed yeah. to a fiat standard. And I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Like if you use the ancient Romans, for example, where they developed everything from like aqueducts to like modern um, city streets and right. things like that. All of that is only possible when you have the low time preference to be able to invest in those types of engineering feats, well, which we haven't had. When you've got, I think this is a like relevant point to you being an investor. It's like, okay, investing is challenging, right? You said yourself, like most of these things go to zero. And you have an experience as a founder. <laughs> you have experience investing in founders, and I'm sure some of them haven't worked out. So you have this like work that you've put in to get to this level of mastery. and only it only then is it like even possible to succeed, not even guaranteed, right? And so, for the average person who's just like working a, you know, like isn't maybe doesn't have a college degree or like works like a you know regular jobs, not super you know tech or investing sophisticated, like how can they succeed in this economy? Like, because they don't right. have the investment know-how to actually grow their money at a positive rate of return over inflation. So they don't invest because mm -hmm. they're, because they're like, that's risky. And so they stay in cash and they get, yep. you know, they get crushed over, over a longer period. Right. I mean, not overnight, like Bitcoin could drop, you know, 50% in a day it has, but I mean, it's a guarantee that your dollar purchasing power will lose value over time. And it basically yeah. pushes people out into the risk curve that have no business being there. And it creates yep. a lot of malinvestment and it creates a totally. lot of capital destruction all as a result of this. If they could just save and sound money, the people who should invest would invest and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And like the today, I mean, that is also a big reason we see all of the societal divisiveness, right? Because the haves mm -hmm. are keep getting richer and the have nots keep getting poorer just based on not being able to keep up with the rising costs of things. And um, when you don't have any savings, you're living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You're going to be mad at somebody, right? If you can't right. afford things that you used to be able to afford and, you know, the year before because the Fed decided to print 40% of all dollars over the last two years, right? <laughs> and so you're going to be mad at somebody. And, you know, then you see rise of uh, politicians who kind of, you know, play to that. And um, you get to the point where we're at now where the sides are so opposed, like they can't even have a constructive dialogue mm -hmm. about anything. It's just everybody hates everybody else, right? Um, and so that's all a symptom of, of, a broken, of a broken money, which leads to broken societies. So... I just hope, you know, you and I live long enough to kind of see the other yeah. side of that on the on the Bitcoin standard. And, you know, if we don't, our kids will. So that's one thing that keeps me going as well. Like I have three little ones and I want them to have a better world when they're, you know, when they're my age. So that's what it's all about, man. I, I haven't really, I think that's part of what really attracted me to Bitcoin is that I didn't really find a cause that I could in good conscience get behind mm -hmm. until Bitcoin. Like I was like, when I, because I was like, okay, there's something wrong with the world. I don't know what it is, yep. but like Tinder doesn't seem right. Facebook doesn't seem right. You know, World of Warcraft friends don't seem right. Like something's yeah, wrong. The Bachelor. Here. Yeah. It's bachelor like, in Paradise. Yeah. Like, bachelor, <laughs> yeah. Like the reality shows, like 
even you know i love the cooking shows but like i'm sorry master chef like don't be mean to this person they're trying they're on tv you know like anyway there are there's some some kind of cultural sickness that i have been picking up on for a long time and i thought like it had to do with like wealth inequality well come to find out okay well why is the wealth inequality right and sort of like derivatives and you it's like, okay, you know, the housing market's the problem. Well, actually, no, it's the CDOs that are problem. Actually, it's the CDO squares that are problem. Actually, it's the Fed that let all this stuff happen, right? And you just keep going further and further until you find, like, the roots, the root cause. And it led me to yep. the money's broken. Uh, and it was such a simple thing was like, okay, well, I know the problem, but, like, what's the solution, right? Like, yep. is it gold? Is it silver? Well, um, maybe it was at one point, but, like, we saw how that worked out. Like, they can take it from me physically and, like, so mm-hmm. it something you said earlier about like you know I'm I'm con- like f- more maybe 40 or 50 years but like the dollars like it's going to happen right and I think at least I think that too where I'm still not 100% or even like 99 on bitcoin success but I'm like 10,000% sure that the dollar will fail and <laughs> yep. and so by default I'm like okay if it fails something must succeed it so I'm making a weighted bet that that thing is going, the thing that will succeed will be the dollar or succeed. The dollar will be Bitcoin, but I'm not mm-hmm. as confident of that as I am that the dollar will not succeed long-term. Would you say that that's a pretty accurate or like, do you share that belief or if, if different, what's, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. For the most part, I think to me, like I ask myself, if if not Bitcoin, then what? Right. right. And I can't really think of the then what. So to me, it's like, OK, <laughs> I mean, Bitcoin is the only stateless money that isn't controlled by anyone. Um, you see a lot of, quote unquote, like geopolitical experts point to like maybe it'll be um, the Chinese yuan or maybe it'll be, you know, Russia, mm, like the central forces bank. with. Yeah. With other folks to have a new like commodity backed currency, for example. Um, but I think you still have the same problems you have with fiat in that scenario where it's still controlled by someone. Right. You still have, at the end of the day, you have somebody who can, you know, censor the money if they choose to. And Bitcoin's the only one where you can't do that. So I think, um, you know, all roads point to Bitcoin. I mean, sure, it can still fail technologically. I put a very small chance on that happening, but it's certainly a possibility. Um, so it's not, you know, 100%, but I think it's probably the closest thing to 100% out there. Uh, I think it's well said. I agree, I agree with that. And, you know, these central bank, like digital currencies are going to come on the scene, right? Like they're going to happen. Um, oh, yeah. Like you said, it's going to be the world's best marketing uh, stunt for for Bitcoin. It reminds, I've got this quote here pulled up. Have you ever heard of the Tao Te Ching? It's like with the Taoism religion. It's kind of, it's not really religion, more like a way of life. It's based on. Okay, it. no. Uh-uh. It's like an Eastern philosophy book from like. Okay thousands of years ago i got this Hmm. chap this this, uh it's like a couple sentences reminds me of this quote should you want to contain something you must deliberately let it expand should you want to weaken something you must deliberately let it grow strong should you want to eliminate something you must deliberately allow it to flourish should you want to take something away you must deliberately grant it access the lesson here is called the wisdom of obscurity the gentle outlast strong the obscure outlasts the obvious. Fish cannot leave deep waters and a country's weapons should never be displayed. And it makes me think of like, 
we like if we really want Bitcoin to succeed, we have to let the bodies float along float along the river by, right? Like we need to let yep. central bank digital currencies create themselves and blow themselves up. Yep. If we want to have self-custody be the most important aspect of Bitcoin, we need to create the I mean yeah, I'm careful when I say this because like I don't want people to suffer, right? But like suffering is a way of life. I mean, it's actually like the it's not samsara is like anyway we won't get into all that but it's a part of learning right yeah it, well it, it's it's natural to humans like if you yeah. want and feel the desire then suffering is a, a result of that and it's native to human existence but my point here where like these ftf thing ftx type events like have to happen if you want people to succeed let like you have to let them make mistakes. If you want something to flourish, you have to deliberately, if you want something to blow itself up, let it, let it grow itself, right? Like the BlockFi examples, like it got so big that it capsized under its own weight. I think FTX was probably no, no different. So I almost think like you could say that about like all the, all the NFTs and altcoin stuff too. It's like, we've got to let it, like rather than try to say, no, you shouldn't do it. It was like, well, look, We'll be here when you're ready. Exactly. Yep. And, and, and Bitcoin, everybody gets Bitcoin when they deserve it, right? right. <laughs> I like that saying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Which uh, is so true. You get, yeah, <laughs> you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. Some people have to take a few more paths through, you know, everything else to right. get to that point than other people. And yeah, that's fine. Like you said, Bitcoin will be there when you're ready. And um, the tools are getting better and better every day that's in right. order to facilitate people coming on board when they are ready. And um, if everybody came at once, you know, Bitcoin probably couldn't handle that. Uh, so it's, I think the way, you know, nature works and the way human nature works, it's um, beneficial to kind of have this hyper-Bitcoinization process play out over, right. you know, a longer period of time than, than not. Just so. going with the flow. You know? Exactly. Yep. Woosah. You know, bear market what? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting that you say that though, because I, I, I I firmly believe that if like dollar collapse tomorrow, we're going to be in a hell of a lot worse off position from both yes. a Bitcoin adoption standpoint and a just humanity, like not a great time to be alive standpoint. So as much as I want Bitcoin to succeed, as much as I want us to be, you know, the new billionaire is 10 Bitcoin, right? Like, yep. I don't think it's ready. Would you agree with that? I, totally. Yep. I think um, to, in order to have as peaceful a transition as possible, it has to happen over a longer period of time, right. um, slowly but surely, right? And then once you know, once people are more familiar with Bitcoin, slowly over time, like that shock won't be as big as it would be if and the user the experience tomorrow right? will have improved. The security model of self custody will have improved. Lightning Network will be a lot more reliable. Nodes will be more decentralized. The hash power will be more decentralized. The transaction fees will make up a bigger amount of the block reward. All of these things are indicative of me of a healthier growing ecosystem within Bitcoin, exactly how it should be. But yeah, we don't want to like put the cart before the horse and like try to support the entire global economy when it's like, you know, people are losing their private keys because they don't know how to save them or like, yeah. don't, you know, yeah. that's. That like could, for sure. be, could be worse. I mean, it'd be good for the people who don't lose them because Satoshi said himself, right? Lose your Bitcoin. It's right. a don donation to everyone. It's equitable. 
Yep. And I think too, like on a, on a practical perspective, just using and spending Bitcoin, like we're not ready for that to be an everyday occurrence uh, yet. It's still pretty difficult for merchants specifically to be able to get set up and running to accept Bitcoin, especially in a self-sovereign way. Right. Um, it's getting easier over time. And, you know, a lot of people are build, building a lot of really cool solutions to help facilitate that. But I think, you know, if tomorrow everybody needed to use Bitcoin to buy and sell things, they'd be in trouble. That yeah, we'd be in big trouble. And the so. mempool, the mempool would be whack, dude. Be be like yeah, for sure. Seventy-five <laughs> sats per byte, like at, at two in the morning, you know. Um, that would make the uh, BSV attack of of twenty seventeen oh. on the mempool look like child's play, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh man, it, it it is like it. It's quite a quite a journey that we're on. Um, this whole idea of like building a new system for humanity to you know build a new framework of what it's like to be a human on earth like that's a, a pretty um, pretty heavy stuff pretty <laughs> heavy stuff pretty big undertaking you know no big deal like, but awesome yeah. to be a part of right especially like yeah. um i'm sure a lot you might have read it a lot of bitcoiners have read you know books like the fourth turning yes or the sovereign individual both and yeah. like if you yeah if you read the fourth turning you know we're people in, in our generation are are the heroes of we are this the heroes. turning and so it's up to us to really facilitate this transition in a way that will allow everybody that comes after us to benefit. So it's, it's an, pretty cool to be in this place at this what, time. What an optimistic and like warm way to kind of like wrap up the episode. It's like, you, you know, you mentioned having kids and it's like, that's what you do. Like it's to build a better world. And I never believe, I think that's kind of how we got on to like started this whole kind of second, third part of the episode. It's like, I never believed there was a way to actually make an impact because I was like, ah, I'm just one guy. Like mm -hmm. it's systems the way it is. It's always going to be this way. And it's like now I, okay. Yeah. Maybe even in my lifetime, I don't see those effects, but there's a possibility that I make an impact and that impact could be positive and it could be sure. Like maybe the first order isn't like super huge, but maybe like the 10th order ripple effect of that, changes somebody's life like that's why i love working in this industry because i truly get to see the one-on-one -on -one reactions of people and like help them make a difference in their life and that's why i like financial planning too don it was like these people will come to me and be like i have no idea what i'm doing i don't know i make good money but i'm a horrible investor and i get scared every time the market goes down and i sell and then i buy back in at the top and then i do it all over again rinse repeat and that's why i'm not rich and i'm like we're gonna help you we're going to plan it out. Yep. And like, that's, I think like, as long as us Bitcoiners don't lose the plot of like, Bitcoin is a tool to make life on earth better for humanity. That's like what we got to stay focused on, right? Because if it's just about getting the number on a screen, number go up, let me right. drive my fancy, you know, my, to my Toyota Corolla inside yeah. inside of the office right like that was the thing that they didn't mention like he was driving the thing inside the office on the 20th floor uh, <laughs> as long as we don't lose the plot that like this is meant to uplift people to make the world a better place to increase in you know equality and enrich people's lives because it's life short right like, life's short and the halvings are even shorter bitcoin you're only going to be able to accumulate you know a whole bitcoin for so long um, right and you're only going to be able to help you know all your friends and family get in uh as well before i mean it won't be too late but before it has a, a large impact on their life so i think that's 
that's another thing that you know kind of uh, keeps me passionate about bitcoin is like there's still so many people out there who yeah. don't understand the first thing about what this is what it can mean to society overall them individually for their families etc i think we have um you know, and, and during the bear markets, a, a great time to go out and evangelize for Bitcoin because totally. things aren't as crazy day to day. And um, people don't, they're not forced to make quick decisions, right? Right. When, they're not panicking. It's like, oh, it was 30K. Now it's 45. I got to get in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Take a more measured, level headed approach. Uh-huh. Yeah. And give them, you know, give people some resources to really understand why Bitcoin is different than everything else. And, um, you know, like you said, being a financial planner lens, like where it can fit into their, overall portfolio, um, I think is important for a lot of people to understand too, even if they don't quite get Bitcoin yet, it can still make sense for them to include it in their overall savings. Right. Yep. Yeah. Is this, is this something that you sort of try to teach throughout the meetup in Kansas city? Like, do you keep it pretty basic or do you have like quite a technical crew, uh, there? Yeah. Um, kind of both. So like the way we'll do it is we'll have like some more technical like sessions focused on different aspects of Bitcoin and kind of like, you know, people who are interested in that side can come out. And then maybe the next week we'll have like, um, an investment case, like presentation for Bitcoin where more like financial minded people can participate. But, um, I also do like some consulting work around town with individuals and businesses that just help them understand what Bitcoin is and like how it can benefit either them personally or their business. And so that's been, that's been fun as well. It's, uh, it's interesting to see like what kinds of like businesses specifically are interested in Bitcoin. Um, and like why they're interested. It's, it's always kind of, kind of cool to see. There's just kind of like a wide range of, of people and, um, and reasons that they've heard about Bitcoin. So you think, um, one thing I haven't seen yet is a minor exhaust heat uh, used as a smoker. Like, cause you could get it, like you could probably keep that, you know, right around 220. Yeah. Nice, nice firm. I like, I like where your head's at. 24 yeah. <laughs> seven consistent output, heat temperature, all the same, you know, I haven't yep. seen that yet. Um, we need some of our Kansas city barbecue spots to, right. uh, to try that out. <laughs> that was a stretch to tie those topics together, but I think I did it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, that was pretty good. No, I, I, uh, I that would be, I've seen like a hot tub heated hash to heating, you know, I've seen, uh, the guy with the gas, the waste cooking oil. And I was right? just like, you know, yep. you could do like a smoke room and just have, you know, cause who cares about the sound of the thing? And, you know, I don't know, yeah. maybe the smoke would be an issue for the miners. But if it's like S9s, who gives a crap, right? Like you're not. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Like they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're 50 bucks a pop at this point, uh, or maybe a little more, but they shouldn't be more than that. Yeah, uh, a functional yeah. heater at this point, yeah, mostly. It's a, that's a, <laughs> I was like, I, if I didn't have a space heater already, because I live in Colorado, it gets cold during the winter, right? I was like, I would buy an S9 if it was the same cost as the heater, because it's a white noise machine, it's a space right. heater, and it, I mean, it earns Bitcoin at a loss, but like it's a sunk cost because I'm using it for heat, right? So yep, um, that's the only reason I would buy one like that. Or if I was opening a, you know, new business where we called it like, uh, I'm, damn, I was hoping I was going to come up with something good, hash to, <laughs> hash to smoke or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could call it smoking hash. That was what I was about to say. Smoking hash. And uh, yeah, you're not sure what we're doing, uh, what we're <laughs> exactly. doing in there. <laughs> you just know we're having a good time doing it. <laughs> 
Oh man. Well, all right. Is there a uh, is there a Kansas City barbecue sauce that's your favorite that everybody should go and buy online or in store? Um, I I'm still partial to Jack Stack. I know a lot of people would say that's not like the Kansas City go to. Um, a lot of people would point you to like an Arthur Bryant's or a Gates or something that's been around you know forever. Um, but the bang for my buck is is Jack Stack all the way. I just I love it. I love their sauces. They have a, a spicy uh, sauce that is my definitely my hands down hands down favorite. So. The cool thing about them too is they ship nationwide. So like if anybody needs a, a Christmas present, you can go on the Jack Stack website, order it straight to their door for delivery, and it it's just as good as it is, you know, in store. So I've can done we that get with them, a few uh, people and Can we get them set up with BTC pay server? Trust me, we're 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 trying. We're trying. We've had some some conversations, um, making the rounds to all the all the Kansas City businesses that we frequent. Yeah. So <laughs> all in good time as Hope it's we... coming soon. As we mentioned, it'll it'll happen exactly how it's supposed to. Um, I believe that for but sure. Any any uh, active part that we can take in uh, helping the mission, uh, I'm all about. The local merchants, the small businesses, they're the ones that really get hit by these like transaction fees the most because they don't do as much volume, right? So um, yep. they're also the ones who probably have had the hardest road the last couple of years, particularly like in a restaurant or like retail business where they were affected or closed by the pandemic stuff for a while. So yeah, man, I think like, you know, once that's why cash app and square is like so exciting for me because they already have the point of sale. It's so mm-hmm. it's everywhere. They've got the cash app, which is like the user side, you know, opposite side. Now they just need to like integrate lightning into their point of sale terminals and let sale. people pay with cash app. And it's like, Overnight, like millions of people now can use and pay for Bitcoin in a in a way that they actually feel confident in doing it, right? Like if I've got to go right. through 15 steps to pay for Bitcoin, even me, I'm like, oh, fine, here's the credit card. Like, screw it. Yep. So yep. I imagine we, that's coming. I mean, I wouldn't think they're going down this whole Bitcoin roadmap without that being part of it, Cash oh, App specifically. It, so one, 100% <laughs> Square is absolutely going to be building Bitcoin into their point of sale terminals. And Cash App already have Bitcoin into their, you know, user app. And right. they already have the debit card, which today only allows you to spend dollars. But come on, it's going to allow you to spend Bitcoin and exchange it at the point of sale, you know, at the moment of point of sale in the future, I'm sure. And you can already send Bitcoin yeah. to your friends and Cash, uh, not Cash App, but Block is working mm-hmm. on a two of three simple as all heck multi-sig wallet. So that when people inevitably lose their phones, <laughs> lose their darn Bitcoin too, because you know it's going to happen. So that I, I think uh, Block is going to be doing big things for Bitcoin. I'm very excited for what they sure. what they accomplish. And you, also, you also have like the Strike and the NCR right. Uh, partnership, right? So I know that's in the works. A lot of big merchants are going to be coming on board with with Bitcoin payments in the next year or so. And yeah, um, yeah, I mean. That just is a uh, that just proves to me that you know the Bitcoin user base is growing. If it wasn't, there wouldn't be demand for these types of products and partnerships, and um, it's just becoming more ubiquitous. You don't uncross the Rubicon. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Good description. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, we're running an hour and a half here, Don. Uh, that was all the topics and questions I had. Did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, tell our listeners about, or or just give a shout out? Um, anything else on your mind? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. First of all, really enjoyed the the conversation. Um, and yeah, anybody that's interested in maybe getting involved with like angel investing in, in Bitcoin companies, uh, if you're an accredited investor, you can join some of the syndicates that we chatted a little bit about. 
um, on AngelList. Uh, there's a handful of, of awesome Bitcoin-only syndicates out there to, to join. Um, and if not, there's also a way that you know even uh, unaccredited investors can sometimes participate in early stage uh, venture capital through um, Reg CF offerings, which sometimes companies will set up that allow anybody to participate. And I think we're going to see more and more Bitcoin companies um, set themselves up to be able to raise money from unaccredited investors as well. So I'm pretty excited about that because, you know, as Bitcoiners, I think a lot of us would agree the accreditation rules are pretty much bullshit and people should be able to invest their money however they see fit. So I'm glad that uh, there's more and more opportunity for, for people to be able to do that. So yeah, I mean, I guess in closing, I think now's a good time to to get involved in in this little subsector of the Bitcoin space if you're interested. And um, people feel free to hit me up. Happy to answer any questions. So I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm at KC Hoddle, and uh, you can find all the information about Sat Standard at uh, SatStandard.capital. Awesome, man. That's a a great a great summary. We're uh we're block seven sixty five, seven sixty five. Okay. It's a, it's not a palindrome, but it's a, a repeating block. So that's yeah. good. I think that's good luck. <laughs> and, uh, and we're not as poor as we were about a week ago. So I'll take it. <laughs> you know, Don, I have more Bitcoin than I had last week. And yep. luckily I don't measure my, uh, return in dollar value. So yeah, exactly. Especially right now. <laughs> what do you mean? This year's been easy, dude. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> easy when it's going up to say that, but uh, not so easy when it's going down. Well, it'll go back up again. That, that much I'm confident in. It will. Well, at least in fiat terms, because um, as we had said, like dollar, they're not going to just solve the budget. They're not going to solve the national debt. They're not going to all of a sudden dollar become a store value and go back to a you know, finite number. And, you know, yeah. that's not happening. So it's just a matter of uh, waiting for the. Bodies to float along the river, I guess they, uh, they say, in the art of war. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> well, my man, thank you so much for carving out part of your day uh, to, to chat with me. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope our listeners find some, uh, some nuggets here in the investing and VC side. I certainly did. Um, you said at KC Hoddles, where uh, is your Twitter? And awesome. uh, yeah, man, I... Uh, Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll come on uh, Orange Pill Addicts uh, sometime if you uh, if you're down. I'd love to do that. Heck yeah, would love it. Yeah, and thanks for uh, thanks for the time, Zach. And it's fun getting to know you a little bit. Likewise, cool. Well, if you uh, enjoy the episode, hit that subscribe button and share it with your friends. Download whatever whatever you do with the podcast. We're on Fountain App. You can give us a tip, and we'll split. It'll automatically split between Don and I. Um, so thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.